episode number 153 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Uh, we're recording on March the 13th, 2022. My name is Eric, I'm the host of the show, based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events and started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm a student in preparedness and a hobby farmer on Vancouver Island. And in good Vancouver Island fashion, I uh, decided to start the podcast 10 minutes late. Very relaxed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On island time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. Hey guys, I'm Brad. I'm in eastern Ontario. I consider myself a part-time amateur prepper since about 98 and constantly trying to better myself. And hey guys, I am a local mag leader and an avid prepper in southern Alberta and soon to be ham radio operator. And if we want to help, if you guys want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good, bad, or if there's a topic you just want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, fissile content for you in this episode. I'm going to start off with some recent news articles, then we're going to let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic of nuclear effects. So let's move into the news. Okay, first of all, is it spelled nuclear or nuclear? Because it depends yeah. if you listen to The Simpsons or not. Here we go. We're going to break the internet with that one. <laughs> it's like Googling Google. <laughs> right, about, right about now, somebody's like furiously typing. It's like, <laughs> anyway. However uh, you pronounce it, you know what we're talking about. That's right. Uh, news time. So yeah, uh, what hasn't gone on? So we, we I think we mm -hmm. spent about two hours on the uh, the internal chat there, especially on Discord about the full and jets controversy and how Ukraine announced they were going to get some Polish jets. Poland denied it. Then Poland said, yeah, yeah, we'll give you some jets, but we need US F-16s. And then the F uh, US said yes, then no. And now they're like, well, we don't want to escalate things. So maybe it's a no after all. And yeah, it's just been a mess goes to show you the fog of war is, is a thing, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I I just think, I mean, it. I think you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, but by the U.S. basically saying, yeah, we're not going to get involved and we're, I think they're just emboldening Putin because now he's like, yeah, I can do whatever I want and the uh, U.S. just don't want to get involved. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it later towards the end of the show too with some feedback, but I mean, like, yeah, there's all sorts of announcements of aid coming and then in the end, nothing actually shows up too, so that's not helping things either. And, um, I don't know if somebody's going to cover it later on here or not. We talk about that recorder quickly. Uh, did we cover that? No, nope. it's okay. not in here anywhere. No. Nope. Yeah. So there was a reporter that got shot um, again. You know, they said that he was a New York Times reporter and he was shot on duty. And all of a sudden, we found out this morning the New York Times says he wasn't under their employee at the time and hadn't been since 2015. So what was he doing there? Was he freelancing? Was he? There's other rumors floating around about him being an intelligence guy and everything else. But again, so much bad information coming out of there right now. It's kind of crazy. Uh, just want to quickly touch on the stock market there. So obviously you guys have been watching that as well. A little bit here and there. Yeah, a bunch of prices gone crazy, including oil. The big thing I, I laughed about was nickel because there's some guy in China that decided to short the nickel market 
and it went completely the opposite direction. It went like almost vertical in price, and so he's on the hook for billions of dollars. And rather than doing the margin call on him, because it turns out that London Mercantile Exchange is actually owned by China now, and they refused to call it on him, so he, they, he wouldn't collapse the market. So <laughs> it's uh, there's been some stock market shenanigans the last week as well. Um, you saw that one? Uh, yeah, I saw it going crazy with wheat as well. Yeah, everything's just going bananas. Of course, well, again, we talked about it on the, on the internal chat there, but I mean, with Russia and Ukraine comprising about a quarter of the world's wheat production, and now they're both offline because Ukraine ceased exports. We're banning Russian imports from, from of wheat, so now, yeah, there's a quarter of the world's wheat that we can't access for the foreseeable future, which would be very interesting. Uh, gas prices? Has anybody noticed the change in gas prices lately? No, nothing. Nothing at all. It's all <laughs> normal, right? Talking about. No, no, what? <laughs> yeah, I saw the highest I saw so far when I was on the road this week was two thirty-two a liter. Oh, where was that? And that was in right in uh, Richmond, BC. There uh, is that regular or premium? That's regular. Wow, <laughs> is that a normal liter or an imperial liter? I have no idea what's going. On. Like, do you get a happy ending with that? I don't know. Like, there's, there's something <laughs> going on, but yeah, it's like I think the car's got a full tank versus an empty tank. It's going to change the value of the car now. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> well, the, the highest I seen, we were on a snowmobile trip and we stopped in a small town just south of uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and their regular was, uh, and this was before the price went up. It was uh, one ninety six nine, and their premium was two twelve point five. Yeah, I don't even want to look at what what premium is at some of these places, but I'm, we're, you're probably talking two fifty a liter for premium at that point. What was like, it that the uh, comedian oh, said? Push the Hummer home and hop into the Prius. <laughs> Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham said that. Yep. Yep. That was a good one. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had. It's just there's been so much stuff going on. It's hard to focus on any particular story because just it's coming fast and furious, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, so I've got uh, I've got a quick article here that uh, has nothing really to do with uh, what's going on, but it's uh, a good one to revisit in regards to uh, how to disaster-proof your tech. So it just goes over a couple of quick things about, uh, you know, having backups, practicing, you know, preparing for things and making sure your backups actually work properly, um, having a plan, testing it out. Uh, it even goes as far as talking about having some spare cash uh, in hand, which, you know, is never a bad idea. So it's thought it'd be an interesting article to pop in there. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. Yeah. I don't just buy it, plug it in, and leave it? Well, you should probably test it out, make sure it works. <laughs> test your gear? Yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? 153 episodes, we're finally figuring that out. Yeah. Uh, so my article my article has nothing to do with Ukraine. Uh, daylight savings time ended in Ontario uh, last night, this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is legislation in place to get rid of daylight savings time, but the Ontario legislation is contingent on Quebec and New York State both getting rid of it so that just everything flows smoothly. Uh, but the reason that I put it in here is that there's research showing a 6% increase in uh, fatal car crashes the week following daylight savings time. And uh, I've read other articles where there's actually a 6% decrease in the fall when people get that extra hour sleep. So drive more carefully this week, guys. I thought it would have just been them reaching over to the, the dash and trying to adjust the clock and looking down and not looking up. That's what causing the car crash. <laughs> well, driving the work, yeah. Not enough coffee. Drink Yeah, but I guess it would make coffee. sense if they're less asleep. 
So, and I ended up finding one that's straight back to Ukraine today. Um, Al Jazeera uh, had this one earlier in the week where they're trying to call for a ceasefire so that they can restore a proper connection to Chernobyl for power um, as they're concerned about radioactive substances being released and the plant not being able to cool uh, spent nuclear fuel. And that's been not without steady power for what week and a half now yeah they were saying that they would have enough backup generation to last a little over 48 hours and that's long gone now so we'll see thanks yeah not great nope it's not good at all nope. so we moved to what we've done uh, lately for preps well, with everything going on um somehow emps and cyber attacks and our fragile internet have been floating up higher in my threat assessment. Uh, I have managed to download an offline backup of Wikipedia. It's about 93 nice. gigs. Um, I tried a couple of different uh, variation, but the uh, kiwix.org one seems to be the, the best for me. Um, so that you, instead of a nice set of paper encyclopedias, you have all of Wikipedia. Um, there's a, a dump that happens uh, to a giant compressed file a couple of times a year. Um, so it's not the most current, but uh, if we lost internet connectivity, I figure that might be really handy. So I'm adding to my uh, offline digital library, um, that being a, a big piece that I wanted. Uh, that being said, it's something I can put in my Faraday box. Uh, I've been thinking about that a little more lately, playing with that. And a good friend of mine gave me a lovely piece of uh, Faraday cloth fabric. Um, so <laughs> two, two is one, one is none. And he bought a second one so that I could play with it too. And he, uh, he made himself a lovely uh, Faraday box pelican case. Very cool. Nice. Uh, and then a couple of days ago, uh, 3 a.m. power went out. Obviously, I assumed it was a cyber attack. Turns out it was freezing rain. <laughs> I guess that's just kind of where my headspace is at. But did he cause the freezing rain? Yes, Maybe. That is it, the question. That, that is true. Anyway, I pulled out uh, my generators or ran everything. Admittedly, I hadn't tested it in a little while just because there's too much snow. It's a pain in the butt. Um, so it was all lovely. worked well. When I went to put it away, however, um, I managed to shear the uh, brass gas hose fitting off. <laughs> I'm like, oh, geez. well, that's not good. There's no, there was no gas in the line at the time, but that sort of made me disappointed. Um, so I talked to the, uh, the retailer, it's only six months old, so I could buy a 10 foot hose around here or online. I can buy a 24 foot hose. Uh, the manual says the generator should be at least 20 feet from the house. Um, so I thought to myself, what would Alan want? And, uh, so I'll keep the, the CO well away from the house. So I got the replacement 20, uh, 24 foot hose. So I'm staying. <laughs> 11 minutes, 20, 25 seconds. 11 minutes, 25 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, I talked with a, a neighbor of mine about spring planting. I know we were talking about it before. I went over and talked to, to her and her husband today. Got some good tips and some info. Also found a potential new, sort, new source of naturally raised beef that they use that I'm able to potentially buy into because one couple in the area may be 
opting out of it. I'm hoping I can opt in and be a replacement for them. So that was uh, a beneficial a beneficial conversation this afternoon. And uh, yeah, that's about all I've done. Just working. And uh, I topped off my fuel supply while the price was low. Yes, I laughed sarcastically. Because um, <laughs> gas is not low, we know that. Uh, I did some food prep. Uh, I'm also looking at uh, stepping up my garden for the summer. Um, I'm kind of a little tight for space here. I really am surrounded by trees where I live, so it's kind of hard to find a spot that's sort of half hidden where there's enough sunlight. Uh, so we'll, I'm looking into that, whether I go with some raised beds or a small greenhouse. And uh, I was able to score a uh, trailer load of uh, logs for my firewood for next season. For freeze? All right. I, I'm, uh, I'm detecting a bit of a trend here. Uh, so myself just started planning out our garden for this year, picking out what we want to grow and uh, just figuring out how we're going to start seeds and all that fun stuff again this year. Uh, and then uh, renewed the uh, podcast hosting for another year. So uh, everybody is stuck with us for at least another 365 days. So, Fair enough. Assume, but, assuming everybody chooses to show up every Sunday. Well, that still stays intact for another year. I mean, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, as for myself, surprise to absolutely nobody, I did a CGN deal. Come on. Yeah. Really? Seriously. It's your first one this year, right? Yeah, 15 I think so. minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah. Uh, local guy, actually. I got to meet face-to-face. -face. That was kind of cool. Um, yeah, really cool guy. Uh, I think he's going to start listening to the episodes. So if he, nice. if he does, hey there, CC. How you doing? Um, did a quick inventory. Uh, we've been kind of doing a slow burn inventory of the house, trying to, obviously, with all the shenanigans going on lately, we're trying to see if we're sort of anything, just kind of like making sure we stay topped up and everything else. Mm -hmm. So sealed up some grains with the Mylar bags and stuff. Uh, did some online orders to keep uh, everything topped up as far as like uh, Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers, all that stuff. Uh, doing another inventory of the chicken food because, you know, I want to keep that at kind of 100% levels as well. Fortunately, I was working for like eight of the last nine days, so that's a problem too. But good news is I'm coming up with some time off here so I can start building the greenhouse that we have sitting in the shed that's in pieces right now. Uh, get busy on the wood cutting before the chainsaw ban, which I think happens May 1st. And then, uh, yeah, I've unfortunately got three empty jerry cans sitting there because I was in the middle of some fuel rotation. And so now I've got three empty jerry cans. I'm just like dreading having to fill, but yeah. what are you going to do? It's a necessary evil. Yep. Exactly. And I ended up picking up uh, some new hiking shoes so that I can get back into the rock marches and hiking and some exercise going on. Um, completed a bunch of brass prep over the last week um, and then worked out um, just correcting some of the issues I was having with my uh, rucksack there and got a new sleep system set up for it so it's a lot lighter and more mobile. And then beyond that I just spent uh, probably 20 hours of the week uh, doing some research for tonight. Awesome. Well, that's a we appreciate segue, you. Uh, <laughs> that's a great segue to moving into the main topic. Yeah. So, why are we uh, doing an episode on prepping for the nuclear event? Hmm. Everyone's been watching the news recently, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just came out of my bunker. Why? What's been going on? Yeah. Go back in your bunker, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> 
that humble brag, he's got the largest hub bunker yeah. in North America within you know, an easy drive of the south, but the you know, humble brag. Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, as I alluded to in sort of what I'd done, obviously this stuff uh, is sort of climbing up my, my threat assessment. Uh, I think we all recognize that if things go horribly sideways, there is the potential for uh, for this to expand to a bigger event. And whether small or large scale scale nukes get involved or EMPs or something, I think it's uh, appropriate. Um, I mean, in our off uh, offline chat, I think Eric had said that you're getting all sorts of interesting requests to rapid uh, rapid survival um, for all sorts of related stuff so it seems appropriate yep it's it's been an interesting uh week and a bit of emails and well you know people are starting to realize that maybe they should have grabbed some stuff quite a while ago but helping out where i can but quickly running out of stock that would mean being prepared and if you're running out probably everybody else is running out too then right pretty much yep yeah no doubt Anything else uh, as far as basically, you know, nothing seems more of control than a nuclear event. And and, and I think it's it, it's more than just the nuclear threat. I mean, you know, Putin's throwing that out there. <coughs> so, I mean, I've, I've said it several times and I'll, I'll continue to say it. My biggest fear is uh, a cyber attack of some kind that's either going to take down the grid or do something. And if you're living in any proximity of a nuclear power plant or downwind from a, a nuclear power plant um you're uh, you're in danger as well yeah and i mean with everything that's been going along and especially all of the you know misinformation that's going on um one of the things that i noticed was just nobody really knows if nukes start flying or if there's a meltdown somewhere or you know if there's a chernobyl 2.0 what exactly that means. So knowledge is key for sure, right? Exactly. So I think, uh, well, we're going to pick on Darius a lot today, but basically use the bulk of the notes today. So uh, we're going to plagiarize up here. So understanding what to do and when to do it can save your life and the lives of your loved ones. So that's a pretty important thing to do as well. Yeah, absolutely it is. And in order to be able to do that, you have to... First of all, know what types of nuclear disaster it is that you're preparing for. Uh, so you've got nuclear bombs, so fission, thermonuclear, uh, EMP strike, which we've talked about uh, a few times uh, on the podcast. Uh, you've got uh, dirty bombs, uh, reactor meltdown, which is another one that uh, I believe we've mentioned a few times, uh, and then uh, radioactive waste contamination. And that's interesting, too, because I was just thinking about that, too. Like, okay, yeah, the, the, the plant melts down. But then there's also the, uh, or whatever, anything else happens. I mean, there, but there's downstream effects such as, you know, the, we were talking about it pre-show in kind of a joking manner, but yeah, I mean, your soil contamination down the road, I mean, so that's going to affect your crops. Like I think around Chernobyl for years afterwards, the milk and dairy products were heavily contaminated because the cow would eat the radioactive tainted grass, turned into bad milk, bad cheese. And yeah, water does not actually store nuclear uh, energy very well unless there's actually like heavy particles in there but water itself will actually like remain relatively contamination free but if you stir up the dirt or the silt at the bottom of the, the river that's another problem too right yep 
And we're not talking just a couple of years. We're talking a very long term, correct? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the half-life of what you're dealing with. But of course, no radioactive event advertises the half-life of the current contaminant. Right. You know, yeah. This is a bomb that has a half-life of 16 yeah. days. You know, it doesn't, doesn't exactly tell you. So yeah. unless you're a nuclear expert and you happen to see the missile coming inbound and were able to identify it and maybe Russia told you what they're sending your way, I suppose that might be a good way to figure it out. But I don't think they're going to be that polite. So I think if they did tell you, they'd be lying about it. Could be fake news, yes. Yeah, fake news, yep. <laughs> All right. So, guys, chip in afterwards for sure here, but uh, how do nuclear systems work? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, it's a very good question. <laughs> do, do we have any nuclear scientists on the uh, on the panel? E equals MC squared. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Scott would know. <laughs> <laughs> I studied with Rutherford. We were doing our undergrad together. I thought you were going to say Oppenheimer or something, you know, like... No, he came way later. Yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, so most nuclear explosions are measured by tons of TNT explosive yield, or kilotons, it used to be called, and of course they moved on to bigger things like megatons. So to give you some scale, I guess the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs are measured in kilotons. Uh, the average nuclear bomb today is measured in megatons, and of course the largest nuclear explosion ever was the Tsar Bomba over in Russia. They think they 100 megatons, and that was, a, that was an earth shaker for sure. But uh, again, the plant explosions wouldn't be measured in megatons but more of a of a radioactive energy release as far as becquerels and rems so there's a lot of different ways to measure those systems uh so darius you want to tell us about the four main types of nuclear weapon systems yeah so um everybody you know there's a lot of misconceptions going on about what type when people hear of a nuclear missile or a nuclear explosion there's a lot of different terminology thrown around about it um, the smaller atom bombs that everybody's thinking of and when they hear, you know, atom bomb as a term is actually a fission explosion. Um, and they can be as low as a single kiloton yield and um, which is equal to about a thousand tons. What happens when you go start getting larger is when you get into the thermonuclear um, and that is where everybody hears of hydrogen bombs. Now, a thermonuclear bomb actually uses a fission explosion um, to start a chain reaction in their fuel cells to exponentially expand the capacity of that fuel, causing a larger explosion. Um, then neutron bombs is the next term, and those are smaller thermonuclear weapons that work by producing a minimal blast and extra heat. Um, high amounts of radiation, but into a smaller area. Those are generally used on battlefield scales, similar to tank busters or bunker busters, so they won't affect um, local areas in the uh, surrounding area. And then dirty bombs is the next terminology which people like to throw around. Dirty bombs um, are bombs that are filled with subpar quality radiation um, or irradiated chemicals and materials so that it just has a higher level of toxic radiation spewing over the area after the explosion. See, I thought dirty bombs was something you'd hear in like the uh, Urban Dictionary or something. It's probably in there too. Yeah. Yep. Totally different meaning. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, when it comes to actual nuclear weapons, there's there's different goals attached to them, right? One is destruction of of uh, people, buildings, and everything else. Other one is to like an area denial. So, of course, dirty bombs would be good for that because it might maintain a lot of the buildings intact, but you just can't enter them because it's just way too hot, right? So, there's different purposes for, I guess, different purpose-built weapons that are in the inventory. Yeah, and for something like a dirty bomb, you're also looking at it rather than impacting a specific area. That's one that you're likely to get a skyburst explosion from, and that way it spreads it over a much further area because it's higher off the ground. Yeah, and I think a lot of those small atom bombs are still around in the fact that they still have uh, artillery shells. Mm -hmm. uh, suitcase bombs were actually a thing over in Soviet Russia. Um, they, they, there's uh, Yuri Bezmenov, or one of the guys was actually claiming they still have a bunch of them hidden in the United States. So, <laughs> as he came over and, and defected, and uh, he was talking about a few things. But yeah, there's they can be as small as a, I guess, a large suitcase, uh, artillery shells. I think what else do they have for small small packets? But they obviously fit in torpedoes and everything else. So there's all sorts of types. Well, and those small ones aren't necessarily covered by the international treaties for intercontinental ballistic missiles. So all of a sudden, the inventories are a little more questionable. Well, the cheaper to build, and yeah, they weren't strategic weapons, which is what the SALT treaty was about originally. Salt and start and all the other ones, because uh, those were all about missile counts, right? Anyway, uh, so how do nuclear energies, nuclear energy reactors work, and what is a meltdown? So, I ended up doing a lot of research into this, watched a lot of videos on it because. Frankly, I'm not a scientist, and this is really confusing. So as, as simple as I can break it down, a nuclear core is made of a large number of uranium rods that are suspended in a pool of water. And what happens is, is this uranium, um, they fire neutrons at it, which causes it to separate. Um... The uranium rods are used in the fission process and it splits the atoms into neutrons, which the water then causes those neutrons to be slowed down and sheds energy off of them. Um, the longer that they shed the energy, the more they collide into each other and it creates a larger reaction. Um, a moderator, which um, they use heavy water for, slows down that high energy neutrons allowing this reaction to take place for greater periods of time and then the most important part is they add control rods which are large rods that absorb any excess neutrons to stop the reaction from taking place as often it looks like we just lost brad um so they control how far they want that chain reaction to go. And I think the control rods, aren't they made out of like graphite or something or some sort of like, uh, yeah, absorbing material? Um, yeah, so like in the case of Chernobyl, they are made out of graphite. Um, there's a couple different materials that they use for them now. Um, and they're able to actually raise and lower the depth of those control rods inside of the water to control um, how large or small the reaction is. 
And I think the idea there is to make it a fail safe. So if something goes wrong, they can just scram the system by dropping all these rods in and kind of stopping it. Cold yeah, exactly. Things. And it just kind of cancels out all the reaction from it. Yeah. Um, the energy is then captured um, from this water and transferred through pipes in the form of heat, um, which is used to boil the water, creating a high power steam, which they use to create a steam powered turbine generator to generate electricity. And then they just collect the condensed steam, recycle it back into the water and keep the system going in. Um, it just creates um, a pattern in and of itself. Now, when a meltdown happens, um, the control rods fail to control the reaction taking place and the neutrons end up creating too large of a chain reaction which causes both the rods and the containment units to superheat. Um, this is what happened in Chernobyl where they were, they ended up taking off a bunch of the safeties while they were trying to do a test. Had a power failure at the same time and it, it superheated before they were able to shut it down as soon yeah. as it's superheated sorry go ahead oh no i said i think the ongoing problem right now is getting enough water to keep everything under control even in the sarcophagus right exactly again yes um once that superheats then they can't cool it down any further and it causes the containment units surrounding all of these cores to shatter and as soon as it shatters, then it starts um, leaking uranium everywhere or whatever they're using for the radioactive materials for their core. And it just keeps reacting from there. And that's what we call an actual meltdown. Well, to the point where it will melt all of the metal, all of the structure around it, and basically just start falling into the basement of the building. I mean, you at Chernobyl, there's a picture of the elephant's foot, which is this horribly radioactive mess of different molten yeah it's a uh, uranium yeah and uh the one that happened there in fukushima wasn't it um i mean obviously they lost power there and they couldn't circulate the water and it just the steam yeah, so, the pressure built up and built up and eventually the the top of the reactor just exploded right off um so i was actually um looking at that further today um fukushima was kind of a chain of events that had a series of failures involved with it originally it was the earthquake which they had no issues with because the entire plant was built with uh, withstanding earthquakes in mind what they failed to do and the government had actually tried to correct this earlier but they hadn't addressed the issues yet was the retaining wall blocking the plant from the ocean wasn't tall enough to stop the tsunami that hit as a result of the earthquake offshore. That came in, flooded out all of their uh, power sources, and all of their backup generators were in underground rooms, which were then under, you know, 20, 30 feet of water. So they lost all power to the plant. Well, the ongoing themes, too, is like in Soviet Russia, no, nobody wanted to admit that there was a, a flaw in the system because that would admit like a failure of, of, so, of socialism in general. And, yeah. of course, there's always repercussions for speaking up. Same thing in Japan, obviously a very top-down uh, yeah. hierarchical system uh, in the nuclear plant there. Nobody wanted to question their superiors because it would be like a personal insult. 
And so a lot of stuff was known, but nobody wanted to talk about it because you can't like the, I think there's a common expression over there, the nail that gets stick that sticks up, gets hammered down. So nobody wanted to be that guy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and then what happened, the large explosion there, the originally, um, which they thought shattered the core turned out to be a nitrogen gas explosion that took place in the ceiling. Um, it actually didn't cause the damage to the core. But what did happen was they, once they realized that the pressure was starting to rise, they tried to open the vents, um, which they actually had to get permission from the prime minister at the time of Japan to do because they were just going to vent the radioactive gas straight up into the atmosphere. Um, only their vents that they were trying to open were electrical controlled and they had no electricity to open them. So they had to send teams in once they finally figured out how to mechanically do it in person um, on suicide runs to go in and try and open these and couldn't get them opened enough in time. They were able to eventually get the first one open, which started to relieve the pressure, but by then it had already heated up to the point where it started to melt down. Yeah, that's a pretty crappy deal for those guys. Chernobyl, same thing. I mean, if you watch that series, they had guys that had to do 90 seconds on the roof on cleanup duty, and yep. that was that's all they could do for life because um, it was such a hot area, yep. and basically amounted to suicide missions going into the basement there as well. Uh, Danab has something here. He says that uh, I heard Canada has slowpoke reactors that don't melt down. Any insight on this? Uh, keep in mind that McGill University has an active slowpoke in downtown Montreal. Well, just like the Titanic was unsinkable, I don't think they they don't melt down per se. That's it's got a lot of safety features involved. I think the, the can do reactors, I believe, is what they're called, um, and they are marketed worldwide. But I don't think any system is perfect. But maybe it's better than most. And actually, a lot of the uh the schools and the universities. I know for a fact uh, McMaster and Hamilton has an active reactor um, on their uh, on their university campus. That they do a lot of um, medical medical stuff, isotopes and that that kind of stuff. So they've got a reactor in Hamilton at McMaster. Yeah, and as a general rule, I mean, working with the reactors and everything is relatively safe as long as you have those. Um, safeties and the tight tolerances and everything on how they're operated. Right. Yeah, so anyways, hopefully uh, they all stay running perfectly fine and safe as long as the external power and no other external influences change that. Yep. Uh, so, I guess, moving on. Yeah, maybe we'll, uh, we'll get into uh, what is radiation and uh, what it does to the body. So we're going to cover X-Men mutations right off the bat? Uh, maybe we'll just talk about superpowers. Radioactive spider. Radioactive spider. Yeah, yeah we'll uh, spider. Big, big green angry guy. Uh, yeah. Radioactive spiders and uh, toxic Avengers. <laughs> That's dating myself. Uh, sorry, procedural question. Are we committed to the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe? Oh, <laughs> we're wide open. Geez. We're, just, we're okay. really looking to break the internet tonight, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> Furious typing again as we speak. <laughs> yeah, what does it really do to the body, guys? Uh, so radiation is an energy that comes from a source that travels through space at the speed of light. Uh, this energy has an electric field and a magnetic field uh, associated with it, and it has wave-like properties. I could also call uh, radiation electromagnetic waves. 
So when that hits the body, it's all kinds of not good. There's also particle radiation, uh, alpha and beta radiation that has uh, physical particles. It's a helium nucleus or an electron, essentially, uh, that can hit you. Uh, so electro, uh, electromagnetic waves like x-rays are a form of radiation, uh, but all of them sort of bombard the body and can do a whole lot of damage on the way through. And carrying so, on, I guess, with, what else does it do to the body? Well, I guess it depends on how much of an intensity is coming your way. So I guess when they talk about, I don't think we covered half-lives anywhere in the notes here, but obviously if a radioactive material has a short half-life, um, it is going to release energy faster in order to die off faster. But if it's like, a long half-life, meaning like after that half-life time is expired, half the radioactive material has been basically turned into emissions, for lack of a better term. And so if it's got a half-life of two weeks, two weeks from now, it's only half as radioactive as it was before. It's only releasing half as much energy. So if you go through what three half-lives, you're down well below 25% of its original output. So there's a little bit more as well involved with that. Um, so with radiation, um, as it enters the body, um, it sheds off uh, remaining energy that it has. And they only have a specific amount of energy in these um, radiation waves. So as they pass through the body, each of the different organs will absorb energy at different rates. Um, it's, they calculate the um, remaining energy off of these by when it will shed its full energy amount, what distance it travels while passing through objects. Um, there was actually a famous scientist in Russia who ended up getting... Um, hit directly in the side of the head with one of these radiation waves um, due to a whole bunch of safety procedures not being properly followed and um, it actually they thought that it was going to completely kill him because he had received something like a hundred plus times um, the lethal dose of radiation but what happened was that the radiation was so powerful that it didn't shed enough energy by the time it had passed through him into his body to kill him. So he ended up being pulled from that area. He went home for the night, went to the hospital the next day with a swollen head and a massive headache, and that's when they figured out what happened. But because it didn't shed enough energy while the radiation was passing through his body, it didn't kill him. Well, that's interesting. Don't stick your head in a particle accelerator. No. <laughs> I was going to say, did, didn't kill him right away, but probably killed him later. Yeah. Well, Actually, I guess he, uh, he stayed alive for quite a while. Not um, He was still fighting with uh, some adverse effects from the contact with radiation, of course, but um, he went on. They did a whole bunch of studies on him. Uh, he was in and out of the hospitals for years. Well, I guess the big problem with radiation exposure too is there's no there's no sensation. It's not like you actually get a vibration no. through your body when it's happening or anything else. It doesn't have a smell, it doesn't have a sound. It's just there, right? And so yeah, he said the only the only reason he knew that he had come in contact with it at all was that he saw a bright flash of light as soon as he bent his head down. Jeez. Hmm. Yeah, it's yikes. Uh, so as far as 
um, exposure goes, um, high exposures um, to or the exposure to high levels of radiation uh, leads to what we would call a radiation sickness. Um, so maybe we should touch on some of the symptoms that we might be experiencing um, and that we might have to, to deal with if we are exposed to radiation. So initial symptoms uh, could include nausea, vomiting, headache, diarrhea. So all the fun stuff on the list there. Uh, they may start within minutes uh, or up to days after exposure and can last for minutes uh, up to several days and uh, they may come and go. Uh, after initial symptoms, a uh, person usually looks and feels healthy for a period of time after which he or she uh, will become sick again with variable symptoms and severity that uh, vary depending on the radiation dose that he or she received. Uh, and yes. these symptoms... I was going to say, actually, like, uh, and watching that Chernobyl series, which was awesome, by the way, but um, was, yeah. these guys show radiation birds almost instantly when they're handling some of the severely radioactive stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing as well? Do you can obviously get instant burns as well, or is that just uh, was that just made for TV? No, so the burns are an actual thing, um, and that is the radiation shedding all that energy in the um, top layers of your skin um, and into the lower organs. You can get severe burns almost instantaneously, and a lot of the times that is what will end up uh, killing people first is massive burns to most of their body, including internal organs. Right. In that scenario, the radioactive material is so physically hot that whether it's a radiation burn or a regular thermal burn, it's kind of irrelevant because, you know, it's picking up molten lava. Yeah, it's interesting when they were watching these guys because they were yeah they were wearing gloves, so it might have just been hot, hot too, right? But I think it was mostly radiation damage at the time. But yeah, so one of the most well-known um, incidents with this was actually a scientist down in the states who, for um, a split millisecond, came in direct contact with radiation. Um, for a project that they were doing just after um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And um, this one was called the Demon Core. And he actually um, had his entire hand um, swollen up to almost 10 times the size, instant burns. It got super bad. And he, um, he was instantly exposed with a lethal, or lethal dose and ended up dying from it uh, shortly after. Oh, jeez. Wow. And the hair loss thing? That's a, that's a real thing? Yes, the hair loss thing is a real thing. Um, and then again, that's just uh, radiation damage to uh, your different uh, roots and uh, cuticles and such. One way that I look at uh, radiation sickness, radiation poisoning, is if you compare it to chemotherapy. When you look at someone who's undergoing whole body chemotherapy or whole body radiation for cancer treatment, it affects body systems that have the fastest growing cells. So hair uh, and the inside lining of your GI tract are both really fast growing cells. Right? Your GI tract is constantly sort of adding more cells because they kind of get sloughed off by all the digestive juices and whatnot. So they because they reproduce so quickly, tend to be much more affected by radiation. And that's why you see 
those symptoms where you have horrible, horrible GI involvement sloughs off all these cells, you get dehydration, you get um, sort of an inability to absorb any food, water, whatever. Um, so that's sort of a really good comparison because radiation is affecting those cells more so, it's the exact same effect. I can't imagine what that would look like having stuffed off your inner intestinal layer. Um, yeah. If you're doing inspection after the, after the toilet visit, that would be disgusting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, should we move on to prevention and treatment? Sounds like an idea. All right. I got a quick question for Darius too here in a moment, but in a large scale radio- radiological release, such as a nuclear power plant accident or an attack of some kind, we shall follow the following steps. And my first question for Darius, as far as steps to follow, um, you see these people walking around radiation proof suits, or at least uh, resistant suits. Um, any idea what they're constructed of? They're obviously not like, you know, what people were wearing during COVID and, you know, painter suits or anything else, but like, what are they actually wearing? Um, I'm not 100% sure exactly what they're wearing. I know in the case of Chernobyl, they were actually wearing lead-lined uh, aprons and jackets because the lead um, will reflect or absorb any of the radiation or up to an extent. Um, same with the thick rubber gloves they're wearing, they're rubber and lead. Um, beyond that, though, I'm not 100% sure about the exact consistencies of the suits that they're wearing. Okay. Cool. Well, why don't you take us away with prevention and uh, treatment? Yep. So, um, very first thing, if you are aware of some kind of uh, radiological release, like a nuclear power plant accident or an attack of some kind, um, is immediately cover up any exposed skin um, as best as possible. The more layers you have on, the better, because that will help to shed any of that energy um, before it reaches your skin. Um, take a mylar blanket if you can and cover yourself up with that. That'll help a lot as well. Um, if you have a scarf or something, put it over top of your face as best you can. And that will help to prevent some of the burns from taking place. Um, as soon as you're done that, get indoors as quickly as possible and away from windows and doors. Um, if you can manage to get to your house... Um, once you get into the front entryway, do not further or travel further into your house at all. What you want to do is, as soon as you step in, take off all of your clothes or anything you were wearing, uh, put it into a plastic bag, and leave it at the door. And that's any of the particulate from coming off your clothes and contaminating the house? Exactly. Um, soon as you're done that that is considered uh, completely soiled you don't want to touch it or open it or do anything with it again everything in there is considered gone jump into a shower right away but don't scrub anything don't use soap just let um straight running water um rinse off any other particulates that may be on your skin that's interesting too he's in chernobyl right now when you go on a tour um they won't take you into the room still because it's still hot, but they, they show you pictures of when they took the fire uh, firefighters' coats off mm-hmm. and all the workers' uh, clothing off in the hospital. They left it in like a room because that was the dirty room, and it's still there because it's still contaminated. Yeah, they tossed oh. it down a chute into one of the basement levels. Yeah, 
and then it's all still there. They won't touch it, can't do anything with it. Um, but it's the exact same thing. It's as soon as that is coated, that is considered um, radioactive itself. So once you're out of the shower, then you're you know as clean as you're going to be given the situation. This is where you can start preparing your house to kind of deal with um, surviving the situation that's going on outside. Um, best thing to do is find a room inside of your house that's large enough to fit you and your family. Um, preferably with no windows or doors, if at all possible. Um, in a basement works even better. Then what you want to do is take uh, duct tape and um, usually a plastic drop cloth works the best and just coat up any entrances, exits, windows, anything you can in that room. Um, tape over the walls if you can to create an airtight barrier inside that room. Shut off the furnace, shut off the hot water tank and all the water going into your house. Anything outside of your house that's coming into it, like if you're in a city, um, city connection to the water, that is all going to be contaminated. Anything inside of your hot water tank will be considered clean as long as you can shut off all the access valves. And uh, just, yeah, for the reason you mentioned the basement too, is just because you've got that extra layer of dirt along exactly. the side of the walls that's going to absorb any radioactive uh, uh, emissions coming in towards you. The dirt will act as a bit of a buffer. Uh, that's why it's better to be in your basement than on your upper floors. Yeah, exactly. Um, next, what you want to do is take any anything you're going to need to survive for the next you know, 48 hours roughly. Um, 48 to 72 is what's recommended just to let that initial um, dust and residue and fallout settle. So food, water, clothing, sanitary supplies, everything you can for you and your family and lock it in that room. That way you are going to stay in that room the entire time because um, that room is a clean room. One thing to be aware of with this is that when you have a lot of people locked into a single room with no ventilation, no incoming clean air, there's going to be a large buildup of carbon dioxide from just inhaling and breathing. A way to fix this or slightly mitigate the problem is you can actually build um, an air exchange filter using a vacuum and um, HEPA filters or um, gas mask filters. Um, what you do with that is you stick the hose for your vacuum um, into a small hole made through the plastic, tape around it completely so that um, it creates a seal, and put a filter on either side of the hose. So the end of the hose and inside the vacuum itself just get rid of any bags or anything that's in there um, or if you're using a shop vacuum it works well for that um, so that it's pulling oxygen from outside through the filter in through the hose and then through a second filter before into the room it is not 100% fail safe but it will stop you from passing out from carbon dioxide poisoning 
works too. Mm-hmm. And that will work as long as you still have um, power to actually run the vacuum. Um, if you have a generator running outside of your room, that will help to power that. It will also create some uh, passive flow through um, if you don't have power, but not as much. So that is something just to be mindful of. Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah. yeah, once you seal up the room, that's it's amazingly airtight, right? Yep. Exactly. Well, that's a great point. I don't think many people would think about until well, too late. So it's a good thing to cover off. And of course, with the carbon dioxide, since it's heavier than air, it settles along the ground. So as soon as you start to feel tired or anything like that, first thing they're going to do is you know lay down on the ground, which is where all of that gas is settling. Um, and then that, um, once you have everything prepared and you can stay there for you know your forty-eight to seventy-two hours or until you know authorities are t- you know at the door telling you that they're going to move you. Um, you can then pack up after that and prepare to move to a safer area that is out of the fallout zone. All uh, all good points to kind of touch on. Um, how about we talk about uh, some truths and myths about uh, potassium iodide or KI? I know we hear a lot about uh, the, the KI pills or um, liquid, etc., that you can purchase. Um, but what are some, some truth, truth or myths that uh, you're familiar with about those? So the biggest thing with the um, potassium iodide is that it will not protect you from all forms of radiation. It also will not protect your entire body from radiation. The only thing that the potassium iodide will do is it will absorb more readily into your thyroid than a irradiated iodine will. Um, And because of that, um, your thyroid, which is one of the main organs to absorb excess amounts of radiation and uh, will lead uh, faster to the chance of getting cancer or other ill effects from the radiation. Um, So it will absorb the potassium iodide instead And once you hit your daily limit of the potassium iodide that your thyroid will absorb until it is filtered through that, it will stop absorbing any other materials. Yeah, the interesting thing is too, because I think even the guys that used to paint the luminous dials on watches, you know, it's mildly radioactive, right? And they used to, you know, wet the brush on their tongue and they'd they'd keep, you know, doing that with the the tritium, I think it was. Anyways, it turns out that, yeah, eventually it all collects in your bones, it collects in your other organs, and everything else so that yeah your thyroid is protected but that doesn't make you bulletproof from radiation in general right it can still be stored elsewhere on the body yeah yeah, yeah what people don't realize is that um tritium is actually one of the fuel sources that they use in thermonuclear explosions yeah it amps up the uh the explosive yield doesn't it yeah it's it causes a self-sustaining chemical reaction that will expand in itself by reacting so you have a small amount that as soon as it starts that chemical reaction breaks down bonds with other or with other molecules and expands further so i uh i listened to uh, eric sent it to me i listened to uh dr bones we've had him on 
he had a, a little podcast about uh, the radiation and, and iodine and that. And he, he basically uh, used the analogy of your thyroid being like a parking lot where you've got 10 empty parking spots. And as you take the uh, potassium iodide, it, in theory, fills up most of those parking spots. So there's nowhere for the radiation to go. You may have one or two spots and that it may get into, but it's a lot better than having none and uh, having getting the contamination full shot from the radiation. So, yeah. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind with the potassium iodide is in itself, potassium iodide is dangerous for your health. It can cause long lasting health effects as well. Um, much more desired health effects than dealing with the radiation. So do not take it unless you know there is a radioactive um, contamination of some kind. Um, take your one designated dose a day. Um, taking you know a larger dose will not cause any benefit at all for you. Um, and then as soon as you are out of the radioactive zone, stop taking it. And don't take it for extended periods of time, if at all possible. Good advice and sounds like a good time for a disclaimer that should have been at the beginning, that none of us are medical professionals. And um, yeah, talk to a medical professional before you take any of this stuff. Entertainment but, only. Entertainment only. Uh, Actually, uh, Denny points out that the uh, the filter you're talking about, Darius, is what they had to do with Apollo 13. Yes. Hmm. There you go. I remember what they, they had. Much, I guess they, they weren't allowed much uh, current either. They had like, it was like less than what a coffee maker puts out or something is what they had to play with. So they had to come up with something that's a little field expedient. So yeah, shopbacks actually don't burn a whole lot of power compared to a lot of stuff. So because there's no heating element in it, so it's good. Yeah. So good. there is actually a book um, written by an author called F.J. Bohan. He writes a book titled Emergency Air, where he goes through um, all the different kinds of um, respiratory and airway um, dangers and a couple different ways to filter air are very similar to this. Uh, yep, that me points uh, points out that he says, all in all, I feel a little safer uh, up here in the north. Just saying, well, if you're downwind of uh, the prevailing winds and you know you're at the same latitude as Russia, well, yeah. it could come around and bite you globally, I suppose too. Yep. And speaking of downwind, should we touch on maybe the fallout and how that works? Yep. Um, so with any kind of nuclear and uh, radiological event, um, what's called fallout is the end result where all of that radiation contaminates everything that it touches. Um, so all the walls, um, concrete will absorb it into the porous materials, it absorbs into the soil, um, trees and plants will start to leach up the radioactive material as they're growing and take generations worth of uh, time to remove all that radiation from them. Um, animals will start to be uh, contaminated with this as well, as Ian had mentioned earlier. And everything that comes in contact with it is just coated with it. So whenever 
um, you are moving through a fallout area, you need to do everything you can to not stir up um, dust, dirt, um, water, or create large gusts of air, as that will kick up any kind of uh, settled radiation in the area. Um, anything that you find there, food-wise, unless it is sealed in um, like an airtight can, um, is considered contaminated as well. And the outside surface of all of these will be contaminated. So you won't be able to eat or drink anything you can scavenge or find as you're traveling through an irradiated area. Yeah, so that sealed that's container that's of yogurt will have stuff on the outside of it. You'll have to, you know get off safely yeah, you'll have to find a way to safely decontaminate it without um getting yourself covered in radiation as well but the yogurt itself just because it's had stuff passing through it doesn't make it radioactive right so it's still um, as as it's something like a yogurt container would be um but if you're talking like a metal can of tuna or something the metal has a much um higher likelihood of being able to um block out more of that radiation yeah. Good to know mm -hmm. if I ever find myself walking through a uh, an area that's had a fallout and Post I'm looking for yogurt or tuna. Yeah. And if you're doing that, stay away from any kind of vegetation. Um, cause all the or like we said, it absorbs it. All the leaves will be coated in it. So any time that. So the old the old adage would apply, like you talked at the beginning. Wear yeah. lots of layers. Um, because chances are you're probably going to stir up something. So, you know, cover yourself up as much as you can. And um, probably if you've got a gas mask or something, probably wouldn't be a bad idea to have that on. It can't hurt, right? One thing that took me years to understand about fallout from a nuclear blast um, is you have to consider the whole half-life aspect of it. You have this giant, uh, uncontrolled explosion creating all sorts of different isotopes, uh, some of which have very short half-lives, are incredi incredibly radioactive. Um, so that's why hunkering down for that 48 to 72 hours, underground as best you can to get away from all of that crazy intense radiation is so important. And when you look at uh, there's all sorts of tools online showing you know, wind patterns and where the fallout lands, that sort of thing. Um, because it is so intense in those first couple of days, that's why you really want to just lay low, hide out, don't try and get out of town when the radiation is at its worst. Yeah, yeah and that, uh, that podcast down. I was mentioning earlier from, uh, from Dr. Bones there, he actually makes mention of um, how thick Items need to be things like yep. if you're the place you're going to stay, is it made of wood? Is it made of concrete? Is it made of um, whatever it it may be? How thick it has to be in order to give you not full protection, but a, a fairly high level of, of protection from the initial radiation. Yeah, it's a good episode to listen to if, uh, if you haven't. Uh, check out the uh, Survival Medicine podcast. All kinds of great info, but that's his most recent one. Is he's talking about uh, this nuclear stuff, and uh, yeah, lots lots of good information and uh, from a credible source too. So why not go there to get it? 
Oh, shall we move into podcast challenge? Before we do that, I just want to, uh, sure. I forgot to mention that I just put it in the very last second of the notes here. Oh, There's also yep. something you just Google nuke map. Um, it's a handy little tool, not so much for, you know, I guess wargaming your nuclear episodes, but it'll actually tell you the, if you actually could pick a location, you can pick what you determine to be a threat. And then, of course, they only give you a choice of missiles, but I guess suppose you could use the fallout patterns for a nuclear plant meltdown as well. But it'll do based on the yield of certain weapons, it'll show you the fallout pattern you can expect based on the average wind. And uh, it's a very interesting little map to see what you're downwind of. Anyway, so just Google nuke map or follow the link that I'll leave in the show notes and it'll be a, a handy afternoon for you. I put the link in the live chat there too. For anybody that's uh, listening right now, you can go check that out. All right, podcast challenge time now. Find and gather some items to secure, secure you and your household from contamination. Run through the thought process of how you would secure your home and stay in place plastic wrap, duct tape, et cetera, what room you would use, how would you, how would you secure it, so that if anything ever happens, you've thought about this ahead of time. Or watch Dexter. I mean, he'll show you how to do it, too. It's true. Good point. <laughs> All right, we got some upcoming events. Uh, the Peppers Meet is going on again this year in uh, Desborough, Ontario. Uh, weekend of the uh, July 8th to 10th. Uh, I have not been, but uh, I'd like to uh, take an opportunity, possibly. Uh, that conflicts with another uh, another thing I have on the go, but we'll see if I can maybe get a, get a day out there. Yeah, it's a good go if anybody hasn't been. All kinds of good presenters, all kinds of good topics. Uh, it's, uh, it's a weekend out. Um, with like-minded people, uh, but everybody's friendly, talkative, chatty. You can sit around the campfire and talk about all kinds of things, and uh, it's just a general good time. So if you can get out, I uh, highly suggest it. All right, deal of the week. So Canadian Tires got a shop vac on sale, 50 bucks off. So that's probably regular price. In Canadian yeah. Tire talk anyways. Pretty much. <laughs> all right. So I moved to some shout-outs. Uh, I got one. Darius did the vast majority of the lake work for the episode, so uh, thanks a lot, brother, for uh, taking care of that for us. That was fantastic. Lots of great information. I'm going to shout-out my mag buddy who uh, gave me some lovely Faraday fabric, and we've been playing with our Faraday boxes. Nice. All right, uh, email at iTunes reviews. Uh, so we've got one email from uh, the German says, uh, hey guys, I'm a listener from Germany uh, and have been listening to your podcast since episode 19 or something like that. Uh, love to listen to the podcast and just wanted you to know that uh, this podcast uh, involved in a very, or evolved in a very informative and professional one. Uh, I recently listened to your Living in a War Zone episode. Uh, you mentioned Germany sending weapons to Ukraine. Sadly, we are not. Uh, our military is extremely under-equipped and has no material to send to the Ukraine except uh, 500 helmets. Uh, those fake news are coming from the fact that Germany has to allow another country which has bought German weapons to send them into war zones uh, since now it was uh, generally forbidden to do this, so those policies have been changed. Uh, the Netherlands and France, also Poland, are now allowed to send anti-tank and air weapons I hope this is all clear, and please excuse my spelling or grammar mistakes. Uh, please have a nice time and stay prepared. So, 
some uh, interesting information to know from uh, somebody who's actually there. So. And uh, oh, I should just say, vielen Dank für seinen Brief. Es war ausgezeichnet and mein Deutsch ist auch nicht so gut, aber ich versuche. So yeah, there you go. We, we all don't have a, a, a secondary language that we speak perfectly, but hey, that that was a fantastic letter for uh, for what you sent. Uh, that's great yeah. information. So thanks a lot. And he asked us not to give his name. So yep. Anyway, but yeah, I can and totally I mean, get through I, that. No problem. Yeah, and and I mean, I don't I don't think it's a secret that I think most militaries are, uh, except maybe the U.S., uh, Russia are extremely under equipped. Uh, Canada is no exception. How long have we been waiting for decent fighter jets and submarines and whatever? So um, I don't think Canada's much in a spot to be giving anybody anything either. So, um, and you know, I, I just I just take from that uh, also that um, you know we don't necessarily know all of our information, and uh, the last thing we want to be doing is spreading what people would call fake news or something that's not true. So um, I appreciate that he's bringing that to our attention that, you know, we made a comment that that possibly wasn't true. And uh, we take the criticism um, and send our uh, apologies for that. There's no intent on our part, obviously, to uh, perpetrate anything that's that's not true. So yep. that's that's half the, uh, the fun of doing this podcast is we get uh, we get reached out to yeah of all places, Germany and, and all around the world. And we get information from people everywhere that can, uh, can fact check or send us, uh, information that, uh, that comes right from somebody that's experiencing it and, and has some links to the area. So it's, uh, it's kind of neat to see, uh, feedback from all over the world. It's fun to get those emails. We've had some good ones from Norway and everything else too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, consider, yeah, like they're, they're listing in something that's not their mother tongue. Which yeah. It's pretty awesome. Like it's, uh, I guess in North America we're kind of silly that way. We we generally only speak one language. <laughs> That's it. Yep. But so good for them. That's awesome. All right. Well, with that, I'll bring episode number one hundred and fifty-three of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a second, submit a review. It does help other people find us. We record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you alerts when we're going live. You can contact me, Scott, via feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And I can also be reached uh, as well at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Awesome. And if anybody wants to reach me, just head on over to the Discord channel and I can be reached there almost 24-7. Right on. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theoutofretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast. I will be showing up tomorrow, I swear. On iTunes and YouTube, we record Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'm also in the Discord chat with the other guys on for both CPPs. Emails if you want an invite. Uh, we're up to a fairly good number of members now. Uh, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society makes me seal off the family room. <laughs> yeah, we are up to, what is it, 100 and, yeah, 143 members in the Discord now, so it's a good time. Uh, you can check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com and get me there on the live chat. I also uh, hang out in the Discord uh, every once in a while. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. Uh,